Today on episode 77 of Insects for Fun, we're talking about isopods, why they're increasing in popularity, and all you need to know about caring for and keeping them as pets. Side note, it's incredibly windy today, so you may or may not hear wind during the episode. Let's first lay down some basics. Isopods are crustaceans that inhabit land, fresh water, and even salt water. Actually, the marine ones can even be found in Antarctica. But today, we are specifically talking about land isopods in two families, Porcellionidae and Armadillidae. These two families are the most common land isopods you'll encounter, both in the wild and as pets. Armadillidae are your pill bugs, armadillo bugs, roly polies, etc. And Porcellionidae are the sow bugs or flat isopods that are unable to roll into a ball. Now, apparently, it's the family Armadillidae which have the cream of the crop isopods for enthusiasts. And here's why. This family contains a very unique genus called Cubaris. And these are well known for their cute duck faces and vast array of colors. They also happen to have lower reproductive rates, which means they live out a longer life than other isopods. And this is great for people that just want to have one or two as long-term pets and not bother with the whole breeding thing. The average lifespan for Cubaris isopods seems to be two or three years, with some capable of living up to four. Some of the most notable species are the rubber ducky isopods, panda king, red tiger, amber, spiky tie, white tiger, and little sea isopods. I'll put pictures on the Instagram and Facebook so you guys can see exactly what I'm talking about, because they are pretty nice looking. Also, to give you an idea as to how absurdly expensive some of these are, a white tiger cubaris was selling for 350 USD on one of the sites I found, and they were sold out. Like, what? Dude, I would never pay 350 bucks for an ice pod. And the lowest price I found online for Cubaris were 25 bucks. The average is around $100. To me, it's insane, but I mean, if you're super into the hobby and have fun money, then by all means, go for it. I guess they justify some of these prices too by giving you a breeding stock, but I'll just go and get mine from the woods. Actually, when I was doing fieldwork in Hawaii, I met a dude who would collect wild isopods and sell them to vendors. They supplied him with all the packing containers and everything. He just had to go out and collect some with unique colors and patterns. Pretty wild, but this is how these things are done, unless you buy them from breeders. In general, if you wanted to purchase Cubaris isopods for pets, you'll want a tank that's between 5 or 10 gallons and has a humidity over 50%. That being said, I've seen many people use plastic containers or bins with no problems at all. Honestly, I wouldn't even worry too much about the size requirements. Just make sure it's a reasonable size for however many you want. At least one and a half gallons, I'd say. Now, many of the isopods that I've talked about so far are tropical and come from Southeast Asian countries or Central and South America. This means that they need to be kept around 75 degrees Fahrenheit or 24 Celsius. Now, of course, these creatures can endure temperature shifts just like they do in their native environments, but you don't want to expose any of these tropical isopods to temperatures in the 50s or the teens, if you're thinking Celsius, and you don't want to have them in a dry tank for long stretches of time either. 
because that will stress the little fellas out. Here's a fun fact. These isopods actually really like to be huddled together and even huddle under or near other surfaces to help them retain moisture. In general, these critters move on the slower side as well and only run around frantically if there's a stressor in the environment. It's kind of similar to fish behaviors, actually. Generally speaking, your fish will not glass surf or swim frantically near the glass walls of your tank unless something is wrong. And that's not the only similarity to fish either. Isopods actually breathe through gills. They're crustaceans after all, and because these terrestrial isopods use modified gills, they need a decent level of moisture. The gills on isopods are located under the body, which helps keep them from drying out. And they actually have up to six pairs, with specialized lungs attached. The number of gills and lungs depends on the species, but they do have at least more than one pair of gills and special pleopodal lungs. So now we know the size of the tank and what kind of temperatures and humidities tropical isopods enjoy. But how do you decorate your tank and what do they even need for food and soil? As I mentioned in the compost companions episode, these animals are detritivores, which means they love munching on decaying matter, like rotting wood, leaves, earthworm castings, even algae and lichen. And because they feed on decaying matter, which includes compostable food, the temperatures in their containers will have a buffer from cold by the heat given off naturally through the process of decomposition. As for substrates, a mixture of organic potting soil, soil that's free of chemicals added for plant health, etc., leaf litter, and tree bark or wood shavings is really all you need. But many people use peat moss, sphagnum moss, coconut shavings, limestone powder, or cuttlebone shavings as well. It is important to give your isopods a form of calcium to keep their bodies strong and healthy, which is why people like to add limestone powder or cuttlebone shavings. Honestly, you can also just throw in eggshells if you cook eggs. It will take them months to fully eat the shell of an egg, and you don't even need to sterilize the shell either. The moss is great for retaining moisture, but many people also boil leaf litter to both sterilize it and give the enclosure more moisture. To be honest, you can buy isopod substrate off Amazon among other things like isopod food. It's actually incredible how readily available things are for isopod care these days. When it comes to the depth slash how much substrate you need, well, that's entirely up to you, as long as it's over one inch or two centimeters. The more you have, the less you have to worry about your container slash tank drying out. It also helps when you place boiled leaves and leaf litter on top of the substrate. Something important to know is that even though your enclosure should be humid, it does need some ventilation for fresh oxygen. Having mold accumulate is not uncommon in very moist terrariums. So if you notice mold growing, you should clean it out and replace some of your substrate for fresh ones. People also like to keep springtails with their isopods, which help keep the tank clean and free of mold. As for housing isopods, many people love to put them in terrariums and vivariums, but even a paludarium would be great. Terrariums are enclosures designed specifically for plants, but because isopods feed on older rotting plant material, when the plants inevitably shed leaves or have dieback, 
the isopods get food and help recycle those nutrients back into the soil for the plants to use again. Vivariums, on the other hand, are enclosures designed for living things, like reptiles or other smaller animals. Now, of course, you shouldn't do this if you aren't willing to sacrifice some of your isopods as food. That being said, I do believe snakes are okay companions for isopods, and the shed skin from a snake is good calcium for them as well. Now, paludariums, on the other hand, are much more complicated, but honestly are probably the best thing you could have. The reason is that paludariums combine both terrestrial and aquatic life together in one tank. I actually made one of these for my pet dart frogs in Hawaii back when I was living and working over there. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is probably one of the best types of enclosures is because it will constantly be humid in that tank. People usually keep a side of the tank open and empty for water and small fish, or they take some kind of lightweight material that they can build an open bottom frame to put soil, moss, wood, and other things over. This is great because it keeps the lower half of your tank open and empty for fish. And these systems are great in general because the water is cycled in the tank, creating its own dry and wet times of day. Anyway, now that we've covered all the basics for what you can do and how to care for tropical isopods, let's take a look at some of our other isopod options. Next would be isopods in the genus Armadillidium. These are more of your roly-poly pill bugs, but aren't as bougie as the Kubera species. It's not that they aren't as pretty or anything like that, but more to do with the fact that these species reproduce faster and are easier to breed and get a hold of. Some of the common names for species you can purchase or find online are clown isopods, yellow spotted, magic potion, peach, roly-poly, yellow spanish, and zebra isopods. These ones can tolerate slightly lower temperatures than the Cubera species, but as a general rule, all isopods will be totally happy if you keep their enclosure at a steady low 70s Fahrenheit temperature, which would be around 22 or 23 C, and keep the humidity around 55%. Now, lastly on our list, but certainly not least, are the sow bugs in the genus Porcelio. These belong to the family Porcelionidae and as a result, cannot curl into a ball. That being said, they are incredibly popular to have as pets and for good reasons. They're some of the largest and have some of the greatest variation in patterning and body shapes compared with the other isopods we've talked about. Also, unlike many of the roly-poly isopods, these ones tend to not be as shy and can be seen crawling around and exploring your enclosures more readily during the day. They're also a little bit faster with how they scurry and how they move. So it's really fun to watch them crawl around and check out all the different things you've created or put in your enclosures. And with all that said, this is going to be the end of today's episode on isopod culture. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, if you haven't, make sure to rate the podcast on whatever platform you listen. If you happen to be an Apple listener, then leaving a nice review would be even better. Ratings and reviews go a really long way to promote the show and get it seen by more new people. If you would like to support the show on Patreon and get bonus episodes and or vlogs, then you can find it over on patreon.com forward slash insects for fun. My email is insectsfordummies at gmail.com and you can use that to send me some listener submissions or go hit up the socials like Instagram or Facebook. 
Links to everything are in the episode notes. And thanks again for listening.